at this church, you are really supported in everything. So um, it's awesome to preach here. Um, for those of you who know me, you know me. <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Joel. I serve as one of the pastors here. I oversee the media, so I do the photography and videography. Um, I'm not usually dressed up in a suit like this. It's been a long time since I've dressed up in a suit for a Sunday. Um, I usually dress up very low-key, casual. You'll see me scurrying along the sides and the stage with my camera. Um, some of you may actually dislike me because I get in your faces and, and I try to capture like the most epic worship shots. Um, but uh, I try to be ninja in doing it, you know, just like, like really quick and then just get back up before you notice. Um, but I, I oversee the photography. I, I take pictures. I'm part of an army of photographers, if you may not realize. We have a lot of people who do take pictures. Um, but I also, also produce and make videos for the church as well. And that's my pleasure and a joy to do. And so, um, so yeah, man, let me just, uh, it's my first time preaching in, uh, on a Sunday in almost two years. Man, it's kind of crazy. You know, I've been in full-time ministry now for about a little over eight years, um, the last two of which have been with this house. So I'm really stoked, excited. I don't have a camera with me today, but I'm going to deliver the word of God with you this afternoon. So I hope you guys are ready for it. It's going to be a good word. Um, before we do that, let me just, let's just bow our heads and let's just pray. Yes, Father, we just thank you so much for this afternoon. I thank you for every soul and heart that's here, God. Thank you that everyone's here for a purpose. I thank you that you, have, that you want to speak to each heart individually, God, this afternoon, Lord. So, God, we, we invite your spirit to come even now to do it, Lord. God, we're not here just for a Sunday service. We're not here just to hear another message. But, Father, we come with expectancy. And that expectancy comes because we know that we, we worship and serve a true and living God. Like, God, you're alive and you're real. Like, you're really real, God. So, Father, come right now, even now, God. I pray for an anointing of the spirit of wisdom and revelation to fall upon every heart, God. I pray that every word I speak will be from you. And, Father, I pray that even the illustrations that I give and, and may clobber and mess up, Father, I pray that you would even take that redeem it for your own good this afternoon. And I pray that every heart would be attentive and, uh, and captured by the word of God. So I just thank you, and we just love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24. All right. I will be reading in the NIV, actually. So uh, follow along for those of us who have the ESV, which is um, the version that we use in this house. Luke 15, verses 11 to 24. Jesus speaking. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, there was a f severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to, fe to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Amen. Amen. My sermon title this afternoon is called Come Back Home. Come back home. I know what maybe the first thing you guys are thinking right now. There's a popular song back in the 90s called Come Back Home by, by a group called Soteji. 
Not everyone here is a Korean, so you might not get that. But my sermon title is called Come Back Home. We're going to be examining the character and heart of God using one of the most beloved stories in the Bible. All right. This story has actually been very, on a personal level, it's been very instrumental in my life in, in, um, in describing to me who God is and how his heart is for us. And it's brought me to another level of intimacy with the Lord. It's really demolished every, all the walls and barriers that, that I thought God was. This story just really did away with all of that. And it brought me to another level of just freedom, walking with him and knowing him. And I believe that this afternoon, it's going to have the same power for you guys. It's going to set you guys free as well. Amen? And especially, less on a corporate level, less on a personal level, more on a corporate level, I do believe that also, as a church, we're, on a new, we're in a new season. We're, we're starting a new sewing season. You guys may have heard the announcements that have been going out for community groups to be formed. Um, it's a season where we're going to be engaging in active discipleship and just... Uh, and just meeting together as a community group because we've been on a two-month break. And I just wanted to take a Sunday before we do that to kind of revisit this story and to come back home to just his heart and who he is for us. I just feel like there's just no better story in the Bible to do that. And um, honestly, I feel like there's just an epidemic that we see today in the church and that we can't acknowledge enough of. You know what the epidemic is? It's a lack of the knowledge of God that we see today in the church. A lot of us, we know about God, but we don't know God because that will make such a big difference. How many of you know that you can go only as far as in, in, in as much how you know who, who God is? You guys get me there? Sorry, I just like right. I'm a little nervous, but it's all right. Um. I'll, I'll do that more often, too, so you, you, can, you, can, hope, you can expect that more. But, um, uh, but by grace of God, I will go forward. But, um, <laughs> but the knowledge of God, seriously, guys, like, it's the one thing that will either propel you to, know, to grow in, your Lord, in the Lord and grow more, or it's the one thing that will hold you back and like, mess you up totally. And this is not just something that is a problem within the church. It's something that's a problem within the world. I mean, I'd be a fool right now, to not, and I'd be completely ignorant to not acknowledge what's going on in the world today. When you look at the Middle East. There's a group called the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. They're going about wrecking havoc across these countries, unleashing horrors that we haven't seen in such a long time. And what are these guys led by? Are they bad people and who they are? I'm tempted to believe that when I see pictures and things like that. I'm so tempted to believe that. But you know what? They're, they are that way because they have a wrong knowledge of who God is. Their God tells them it's okay and acceptable to behead people if they don't believe what they believe. Their God tells them it's okay to sell women into, into sex trafficking. Their God tells them it's okay to rape women. Their God tells them it's okay to do all these things. So knowledge of God, it's really, it's really a crucial moment, not just for the church, but the whole world, to really come to understanding of who God is. And so, guys, I know you guys heard this story like a million times before. If you grew up in the church like I did, you probably know every like, illustration that I'm going to use, and you probably know like, what I'm going to point to. But today, I just wanted to bring, I don't care if you, I don't care if you've heard it a hundred times, we're going to go back to who God is. And I believe that wherever you are in life, whether you are a backslider and you're just like, and you just went clubbing last night and just made it into service this, after, this afternoon, God bless you. It was raining. I commend you for that. Um, you know, sometimes rain, it's, it's a little hard to come in when it rains. Um, and whether you've been at church your entire life and you're just like a steady goer, um, there's something in this message for each and every one of us. So open your heart. Amen. All right. The truth, Jesus says, you should know the truth. Truth will set you free. So I'm really praying for just a breakthrough of the truth. So we're just going to dive into the story and just, we're just going to let the word of God preach back to us. Amen. I think there's something about preaching messages and coming up with a three point sermon and just, you know, very nice slick presentation. That's cool. You know, but this afternoon, I just want to let the word of God speak. I think there's a power in that. And we're just going to honor the word of God. So let's look at the story. So in this story, Jesus is speaking. There's a man, and he has two sons, a younger one and an older one. And the younger son goes up to his father and says, Father, give me my share of the estate. I don't know what you guys think when you read that. I honestly don't think that you need to be someone from the Middle East to realize how, what messed up thing that is to do. But usually, just to, just to bring clarity to this, you don't usually go up to your father on any normal day and say, hey, give me my share of the estate right now. 
That's saying, Dad, you know, that, that, that stuff usually comes later. You know, when the dad's on the deathbed and he's writing his will and then he passes away and then the estate goes forward. But this younger son's like, you know what? I can't wait for you to die. Okay? I'm sick of being the younger son. I'm sick of, like, you, having you in my life. Look, I just want to be free. I want to do my own thing. Here, just give me my estate. Give me my share of estate right now. That's pretty jacked up, guys. Like, imagine if I went to my mom. My dad passed away from cancer. I have just one mom. If I went to her and I was like, Mom, you know what? Just give me, can you just write your will right now? And can you just, like, can you just give me the house right now? Like, I want the house. Like, that's just jacked up, okay? Um, it's always the younger sons, the magnes. <laughs> They're kind of like that. Um, now, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm not bitter. I'm, I'm an elder son. I'm the eldest son. I'm the Changnam. I'm not bitter, but, um, but anyways, this young son, he's just really acting up a storm. And this father, he has every right to just smack him across the head and be like, oh, what do you see now? You know, this father has every right to discipline the child, the kid and being like, and just putting him in his place. This father has every right to, to like take him in the town square. And for something like this, like you guys got to realize like this culture is conservative guys. Like, like, people get publicly flogged for, for acts of dishonor and disobedience to the patriarchs. So this guy has every right to just, like, whoop his butt, you know, in front of the town, make an example of him, and make sure he never does that again. So, like, he has all the power. He has the cards right now. But how does his father react? He does something that's completely different, completely countercultural, and for whatever reason that's on his heart, I don't know what it is, but whatever, whatever that's on his heart, he decides to actually go along with his younger son's, younger son's wishes, and he decides to give him his share of the estate. Man, that's crazy. Like when you look at that, when I see that, I'm wondering what kind of patience. You know, you've been insulted, not by your eldest son, by your younger son, you know? What kind of patience and grace and maturity and just kindness and love does it take for you to, to like disregard that and actually, and actually go and give the son what he wants? Like what kind of father is he? And I think right fear from the outset, right in these first few verses, we're getting a glimpse. We're getting a glimpse of who God is to the character of this father. We see that the father is merciful. Like this father is hecka merciful. All right? Like really merciful. And we see that he's a man of tremendous grace, tremendous kindness. And the same way Jesus is saying, you know, that's, what God, that's kind of like what God is like. God is a God who is merciful. God is a God of kindness. He is a God of grace. He is a God of grace. So right from the outset, we see that Jesus is describing God as a good God who is only for us. He's only for us and not against us, as we see in the example of this father. And so it says, if we just continue on, verse 13 to 16, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He sets off for a distant country and there squanders his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out, he hired himself out to a citizen of that country. I'm just reading a scripture to you guys. Who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pots that pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This young guy goes off, and he does all this. He goes off, and he spends all his money just recklessly living. He goes off to, to whatever was the most wicked places at that time, and he just, he just, he just blows it all on just wild living. But then what happens? Like all fun things, nothing really lasts. He runs out of money. And then what happens? After he runs out of money, life happens. This famine hits the region and the land. And now, not only does he not have money, he doesn't have any way to get a job and kind of like support himself. And no one will hire him. And so what he ends up doing is he goes to um, a farm and he tries to hire himself out to be someone who feeds pigs. Who feeds pigs. Now, I don't know about you guys, if you like farm animals and you like going to farms and working at farms, maybe you will like that job of feeding pigs. If you're like, oh, that sounds so awesome, you know, I'll treat the pigs like my pets. Um, I know several people who might like that, like Rowan Abab. She's not here, so I can make fun of her. But, um, but actually, if you were Jewish guys, like this is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Because in Jewish culture... Pigs are considered unclean animals. They're considered unclean, which means you can't go anywhere near them. If you touch them, what happens to yourself? You defile yourself. 
And that means that you have to go to the temple, to the priest, get all these sacraments and rituals done to undefile yourself. Like, it's just, you, you don't go near pigs. In Jewish households, servants are the ones who, you know, the Gentiles are the ones who deal with the pigs, not the Jewish people. So for this son to be in a place where he's just like, you know, he's just dropped to the bottom and, and the only job he can get is feeding pigs is complete disgrace. Complete disgrace. And, and it just gets worse. He's like, if that's not bad enough that he has to feed pigs, like this guy is hungry and he has no money to buy food, he's brought to a level of hunger that he just, he even wants the food that the pigs are being fed with. You know? So it's like, it's terrible. It's terrible. He has so little value to his masters that even though he wants that food, guess what? Masters won't even let him have those food, those pods that the pigs are being fed with. I feel like what we just read in the entire Bible is one of the most poetic descriptions of what sin does to you, isn't it? The effects of sin. See, sin deceives you. Sin tells you that you're immortal and that you'll live forever. And that, you know, sin tells you just go and pursue pleasure. But it's a message, and like, it's not an old message. I mean, I mean that's, that's sin, that temptation is here, and it's real in our present. But, it's a me- but as we can see from this passage, it's a message that's been around from the beginning of time until now. You know, we hear it in our music, we hear it in our movies, we hear it in our culture. I mean, I'm tempted to believe that we're all, like, holy Christians, and, like, we don't ever do this kind of stuff. But something in my spirit tells me that, you know, maybe some of us do here, and this message is for you. What you will never hear of these sins, what you'll never hear of these kind of things is the consequences that follow, right? You just hear, live the good life, live, go, go buck wild, <laughs> go to a club, go get drunk, go have sex. That's what you hear, but you don't ever hear the consequences afterwards. Like even the music that we listen to. Like, do you realize, like songs that we listen to, they glorify all these kind of things, but do they ever have a verse or a chorus about what happens after you do all these things? Do they ever have a verse about, you know, you're getting pregnant and you having to become responsible, about you having to get an abortion, about how you have to get inner healing after that because you, you get so jacked up by the whole thing? You never hear that. It's so deceptive. And I mean, but, but, but that's the kind of message that's being per- perpetrated all the time. Like, I just, man, I, don't, I can't believe I'm going to do this. I, I actually scratched this out of my sermon. Like, don't do this, Joe, but I'm going to do it because I love you guys. There's a song, okay? You're like, oh, yeah, come on, give it to me. It's like, it's an old song, okay? It's not, it has been, it's not, it's been out for a bit. You know, it's by, by Katy Perry. It's called American um, Teenage Dream. Teenage Dream. Do you guys still remember that song? I'm telling you, man. I I will sing it. I got the lyrics right here. You think, like, it's, it's the most incredible thing when it's put to music, right? It's, how does the song start off with an electric guitar riff? I play electric guitar, so I know. And you're like, you know, it's like a nice hook. And then what are the lines? You think I'm pretty without any makeup on? Like, it sounds so lame when I don't sing it, right? I, I, I can't sing it, all right, guys? I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to just tell lyrics. And then it goes, you think I'm funny when I tell the punchline wrong. It's like bad poetry already, you know, without music. (laughs) I know you get me, so I let my walls come down. Whoa. (laughs) And then I'm just like, oh, my goodness. And then it goes, let's go all the way tonight. You know, no regrets. Just love. We can dance until we die. (laughs) I'm like, please, I don't want to die. You and I, we will be young forever. And look at the words and just look how like, stupid it is when it comes down to it. But then we fall for it, you know? Just because like, the electric guitar comes in. Jim, Jim, Jim. And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah. We see that music video, right? She's in, the, she's in like, the, the, I don't know, the convertible, right? And her boyfriend boxers next to her. And like, you girls are like, oh, man, that guy's so hot. Oh, yes, this is, this is it. I love it. I love it. I have no idea why I went to all that. <laughs> I, I honestly scratched it all out. But, like, I just want to expose the fool and folly of it because, I mean, we laugh at it, but, like, let's be honest. It's still, like, seductive. It still entices us. It still seems to be glorious living, right? But what happens? 
I mean, I look at the message of, of social, of, of the world, and I'm, I'm like heavy into like communication because I, I make videos. Like, I know this stuff, guys. I'm not some like conservative, I mean, I might look like it with my suit on, but, you know, I'm not some like conservative, like, oh, you young, you youngins, oh, you gotta, you know, da, 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 da. You know, I'm, I, I'm in it, guys. I'm all about radical. You know, I'm all about like, you know, just being edgy. Like you see it in my videos, all right? But like, we just get so sucked in and tasted to it. But, but here it is, the apex of what the world preaches and tells you, it, it, it's actually very, very boring. It's very boring because all it is, is, I mean, I'm just generalizing it, but this is true. All it is, is go out, have fun, hit a club. It's either going to a club, it's either getting, it's, it's either, you know, having sex, either killing someone, it's either um, waking up with a hangover the next day, glorifying that, and um, it's either pursuing money, power, or sex. It's one of those things, but that's all the world can offer you. That is the apex of your existence. Do it! You know, just, just go ahead and do it. You know, I, I counsel Young men, I counsel, I, you know, I'm a pastor, so, you know, we talk and stuff, and, <laughs> and we talk about, you know, like guy stuff. I'm going to be real with you guys. One of the biggest blights, one of the biggest things hitting the church and destroying the church today among men is addiction to pornography. There's nothing else that causes shame. There's nothing else that causes the hearts to become cold than addiction to sexual sin. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating for those of you who have struggled, those of you who are battling it. It's the most frustrating thing. Because you want to fight, you want to fight, but then you just get defeated. You come back, get defeated. You know, come back, get defeated. And a lot of times I've had people come to me and be like, Pastor Joel, I just want to give up. I just, I just, I just want to just, just, just do it. You know, I want, to, I want to see what it's like to just, just go out, go out. And the question that I, I, I think, what I ask them back is, well, if you do that, will that satisfy you? If you do that, if you, if you go and satisfy every whim and, every, and you indulge everything that you want to do, will that satisfy you at the end of the day? Will that make you happy? Will that bring fulfillment in your life? Will you be happy? And the answer is no. It will not make you happy. One thing will lead to another. Nothing will lead to another. Nothing will lead to another. And if you don't stop, you will end up right where that younger son ended up. In a place where you never thought you'd be. That's the Warning. That's a deception of sin, and that is the outcome of sin. The only way out, guys, is freedom in Jesus Christ. In freedom in Jesus Christ. Jesus, in Jesus, freedom is a real thing. There is joy in freedom. There is hope in freedom. That's what you guys want. You guys want freedom. Stop going to the world for it. Go to Jesus for it. Jesus has something to offer you that's so much better. And will not destroy you, but it will bring you life. And so, um, I guess I did preach on that. I totally scratched that out. I just thought, like, you guys were too holy for that. So, I was just like, oh, man, I'm not going to go into that because none of these guys really do all that stuff. But maybe for some of you guys, you guys do. And maybe this word's going out to you. And God's saying, hey, wake up. Wake up. Or it's going to destroy you. Yeah. Um, now, I will share what I wanted to go into go to that passage. We're really like hovering over that passage a bit, over that, those few sentences, but bear with me. Here we see three things of what sin does. This is not a three-point sermon, all right? But there's just three parts here, so bear with me. I'm like, I'm going back against my word. But we see that sin isolates you, number one, all right? What happened to the son? He departed to a far distant country. Like he was isolated. He was separated from his community of faith. He was separated from the safety of community. He was in a place where he was completely isolated. And brothers and sisters in Christ, let me tell you, nothing good comes out of isolation. There's nothing that comes out of isolation. Like, imagine if you were in a war, and you're a soldier in battle, and you're in enemy, enemy territory, and you got isolated from your troop. It'd be bad. It'd be bad. You'd be scared out of your mind. You would do everything that you possibly can to get back within your brigade, within your troop, or whatever company that you're part of. Because you don't want to be isolated. Because you can't take on the enemy by yourself. You are easy prey for the enemy. I mean, even when you watch movies. Like, I'm a big movie fan. Okay? I love thrillers. I love um, action movies. And um, I was going to use horror movies as my example. But, like, you know, horror movies are not cool. Because, you know, they can be kind of demonic and stuff. But, um, but anyway... Whenever you have a situation where there's a group of people and they're in a very tense setting where their lives are in danger 
and one person gets lost or falls behind or decides to go his own way, you don't have to have the greatest nunchi to realize that guy's going to get killed. <laughs> Isn't that true? That guy's going to be the one who dies, you know? You don't have to be prophetic to realize that. Screenplay writers, they, they, they drop the situation very well like that. In the same way, when we separate ourselves from community, when we separate ourselves from the church, when we go distant, when we go AWOL, you know what we're doing? You're putting a target behind your back to the enemy and saying, come get me. I'm by myself now. Come and get me. You think you're following the truth. You think you're going about your own way. But you got to realize that, that uh, we're in a war. Like, this is not much more different than the actual war that we see in the world. There is a spiritual war going on right now, battling for the souls of, of, of lives. And there is an enemy who is out there like a lion, crawling around, ready to consume you. And when you get separated from the pack, you put a big, giant target on your back saying, come and get me. Like, I don't mean to, like, scare you guys. I'm, like, getting, like, up close in front. But, um, but it's serious. Isolation is no good. Um, you know, I just, I just came back from the States. I was at home for two weeks for a vacation. And, um, and uh, it was good, a really good time. I got to eat a lot of delicious food. I got to have my first Shake Shack burger. Glory, Shake Shack, come on. Can I get a witness? Shake Shack! Um, my first Shake Shack burger, and it, um, it was like, it actually, you know, there's, you know, people hype things up, right? And you're like, oh, man, you're just hyping it up too much and whatever. But this was like one of the first things, first things that when I ate it, I was like, oh my gosh, this actually meets the hype. It's that good. In fact, I ate it with my mom. My mom had it, and she said a Korean idiom I've never heard in my entire life. She was like, from the moment I was born, I never tasted a better burger than this. <laughs> Have you guys heard that Korean idiom before? You know, something like that. I'm good at Korean, okay? I'm good. <laughs> All right, so she had like this Shake Shack where she, she's enjoying, she had the shroom stack, you know, the one with the mushroom in it. And so she, the shroom burger, whatever it is, I don't know, okay? I'm, I'm not like a regular goer. I, I went, but I'm converted now. Um, <laughs> but like, and she, she also, she was lucky enough for me to have a bite because I had a different sandwich and I ate it and I was like, <gasps> you know, I was like, can a sandwich taste this good, this burger? Anyways, I had, I ate so much delicious stuff. I went to Chipotle twice, all right? Glory, glory, glory. Um, and then I went to the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, you guys are like, ah! Cheesecake. All hail the cheesecake. Um, I went there with my friend, and, um, and unfortunately, we had a talk, and uh, the only thing good about the talk was the, the food. Because I, I, heard, I heard some sad news from my friend, actually. And um, one of my friends, actually, a mutual friend of ours, I grew up with this guy. I just found out the shocking news that he just got divorced. He was only married for a year and a half. And he just got divorced. And at first, like, a flood of emotions hit me. I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know, like, how did this happen? I mean, like, aren't we a little too young to be, like, divorced right now? I mean, doesn't that happen until, like, a little older, way later in life? Like, how the heck did that happen? And uh, apparently what happened was that, um, you know, they got married. And then they actually moved away from the church. Uh, you know, physical location-wise. He moved away from the church, and it was difficult for them to make it out to church. So they'd only come out to church maybe once in every few months. And, uh, and as he did that, all this stuff started happening. Their marriage life started to spiral downwards. They started to get into arguments. They started to get into fights. While they were in isolation by themselves, with no one there to kind of speak life to them. And then I heard that my friend's wife... Uh, committed an affair against him. She, she would get text message late at night from, from, from this guy. And that happened. And I was like, oh my goodness, wait, what, what, what's going on here? Like, how the heck did that happen? And then after that, they tried to patch things up. But all their marriage life came down to was just coming home after work, eating, not talking to each other, and going to sleep. And living like that for months. And in the meantime, they were just doing their own thing. They were just isolated, just isolated by themselves, by themselves. Until finally, the friend I was having dinner with, he was a groomsman of my friend, he, um, he got an email, him and the other groomsmen from our buddy, and the guy was like, hey, can you, can you pray for us? Uh, me and this girl, we're actually going through a divorce. And at that moment, they, that night, they got the email, they got together at, at his house, they tried to talk him out of it, they tried to be like, hey, what are you doing? Hey, this is not good. Bro, 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 you got, you, 
you got to work this out. Like, let us get involved. Let us, let us get in there. Don't divorce. But then, by then, it was just too late. Their minds were set, and it was just damage control from there on. But it all happened because they were in that place of being isolated from a community. They didn't have lives to come and speak truth to them. They didn't have people to encourage them and say, come on, you can do it. Marriage can be tough, but we can do it together. Keep your eyes on Jesus, man. Keep your eyes on Jesus. They had no people to say that to them. And so little by little, it decayed to the point where now he's just become, unfortunately, a cautionary tale and a casualty. And it just, it just broke my heart because I wonder how, how much different things would be if they were in community. How much different would, would they have been? Honestly, I, I thought this. How much different would they have been if they attended New Philly? You know? Like, I started to get angry at the church. I was like, what did that church do? Like, where are the pastors? You know? Like, how could you let something like that fly by? How could you just all of a sudden forget about them, you know? And I was just like, oh, man, like, what, you know, how different would it have been if they, if they went to a church that took care of them, that held them accountable, that loved on them, that wasn't afraid to speak the truth to them? Beloved, this is what happens when you're isolated. Isolation isn't just, you know, a word that we should feel kind of mutual about. It's something that we should be scared of. It's, a, it's something that you should want to run away from and not ever be in that kind of situation. Amen? Man, I was, I tried to, I was away. I missed one Sunday because I was, I was in the air. I couldn't even be here one Sunday. But already, like yesterday, JPM, Saturday night, my first worship service in like two weeks, already I could tell like, you know, like being away from the family did something. And I had to kind of adjust and shift back to this place. Like even missing one Sunday can do that to you. I'm not trying to be religious, okay? But I'm saying there's something about being part of a community that runs hard. And so I know these past few weeks, you're going to get nagged upon to join community groups. You're like, join community groups, join community groups. And we're, we're telling you guys nicely, you know, please, would you join? You know, do yourself a favor. But I'm going to tell you, join a community group. Don't be stupid. I'm from Jersey. When I get really animated, my Jersey accent comes out. But you're on a sinking ship right now. You're in the ocean of life. You're not going to be able to swim far. Get on a lifeboat. Get on a community group. Have people together. Encourage you. Call you forward to be the best you can be. And even if you just do that, that will do dividends for you. So I know there's some of you guys here that are just maybe checking this church out, whatever, whatever. Stop checking churches out. This is a great church. <laughs> this is an amazing church. Not many people know my story, but I flew, I moved from the States to be involved as a pastor here. You know, it's not, it's not like I came in as a teacher and then somehow got involved. I came because I saw what God was doing in this church. And I came to serve here for two years. And it's been one of the most amazing two years of my life. Don't be stupid. Get in the community group. Um, so sin isolates you. <laughs> Don't be isolated. Um, and so uh, another thing that sin does is um, isolate, number one. I promise I won't spend as much time as I did on that first one. Second one, it squanders your inheritance. It squanders your inheritance. That's what we see here. Isolation, and then what happens? He squandered his wealth in wild living. You guys don't realize, but every, every one of you guys, you have a calling in life. If you're in existence, and God made you to be in existence, he's, if he's given you a spirit that only you can have, you have a calling in life. You are called to do great things. Amen? Yeah. Oh, man, you guys don't believe that. You're like, oh, whatever, stop being Joel Austin, whatever. You have a calling to do great things. I don't care if you don't believe me. I'm telling you, it's the truth. Believe it or not. You know, you have a calling to do great things. But you don't do great things when you try to live life your own way, apart from the life of God. You actually set yourself back. You squander God's calling for you. Yeah, man, I'm going to preach into this a bit. There's some of you so talented here. Artists, so talented. You know, businessmen, so talented, so gifted. And you have so much potential. I see it, but then at the same time, I just see a reluctance to give yourself to God. Can I be real? Like, none of you guys are going to talk to me after service afterwards. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I'm telling you what's good for you, so you listen. God has given you so much. And I, and I see it, I know it. I'm not going to call you guys out, but you're not giving yourself to the life of the church. 
You're not giving yourself to the Lord. Like, do you realize God created you? Like, do you realize that only he can bring you to the place of complete fulfillment, complete destiny? Do you feel like you're going to do that on your own? With your, as gifted and talented as you are, you're going to miss out. You're going to squander your wealth. By the time you get older, you're going to have wasted all this time. See, the enemy whispering a lie, some of you guys. The enemy's like, you know, you're still young. You're still in your early, your late teens or your early 20s. You go ahead and, and, and just live life the way you want. You go ahead and get addicted to this stuff. You can, you can break that addiction later in life. You go ahead and do that. You go ahead and do this. You go ahead and do that. And by the time you continue to believe that lie, by the, it's, like, it's like you wasted so much. You could have done so much for the Lord during that time. You squander the, your inheritance that God's given you. The God-given inheritance. And that's what happens to the son. He squanders his wealth. He squanders everything in wild living. And finally, sin devalues you. Number three, it devalues you. There's a saying that goes, you become what you worship. You become what you worship. When you worship the Lord, when you gaze upon the beauty of God, and you're at a place of revelation of just seeing who he is and his heart for you, and, and just the beauty of God is... You know, what that does? you know what that does to you? It makes your heart come alive. It makes you become more like God. Your spirit comes to life. Stuff that you struggled with that you could never do before. Patience. You know, you know holding your temper back. Forgiveness. All of, sudden, all of a sudden, it becomes easier to do. Because you're in a place where you're being more connected with the spirit of God. You're becoming more like God. Okay, that's what happens. But on the flip side of it, do you know what happens when you start gazing and when you start worshiping other things besides God? You become more degenerate. You, you start stepping back. You start shrinking and shriveling up. And all of a sudden, it's like the spirit man inside of you is so small, but the flesh is so big. Because you, you worship something that wasn't God, and what you worship, you become. In fact, that's, that becomes your value of what, you, of what you worship. And that's what happens to the son here. You know, he's, he was once the son, a proud son. And then he, got his, he let his head get to him. He went away. And now what happened to him? He's now in a place where his value is worse than that of pig food. So that's what sin does. It devalues you. Okay? So um, I just wanted to put that out there. But what happened to the son afterwards? And this is just as important among everything else that I said. And this is what I'm, and this is what I'm praying would come upon your hearts even as I'm preaching this message. Verse 17, when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses. Amen? Man. I'm praying that some of us, we come to our senses. We come to our senses in regards to the way that we're living. We come to our senses in regards to who God is. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Man, I'm, I'm being stupid. That's the word that's continuing to recur in my sermon. <laughs> but it's true. We are being stupid. Verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me like one of your hired men. So this guy, sense comes into him, and, and from a place of complete pride, complete arrogance to what he did, he's now reduced to a place of complete humility, complete brokenness, complete contriteness in his heart. In one sense, as bad as it is to go on a sin spree and do what he did, I think it's far worse when you're just religious. It's far worse when you're just doing the church thing, but in your heart there's such a strong veneer of pride and you can't break out of it. That will freeze you. Like that will, that will prevent you from growing in the Lord. That poisons you. That gives you a spirit of entitlement. That's, that's the stuff that causes problems within church. You know that? It's not the people who sin who come back to the church, accept Jesus Christ, you know, and, and serve church. It's not, they're not the people who like poison the church. They're actually like the really good people. Like, that's what we want. We want people who are humble, who people who are broken by the grace of God, and will do anything. We'll go low. We'll realize that they wouldn't be standing in this place because of the depravity unless it was for the blood of Christ covering over them, and they're willing to serve in any way. It's those kind of people that bless the church, but it's the people that are like, I've been a Christian now for 15 years. How come I don't get my small group? I've been a Christian now 15 years. I've been, I've been working hard. Where's my wife? Where's my husband? You know, I've been a Christian now for 15 years. <laughs> Insert illustration. <laughs> um, 
It's those kind of people that's so hard to manage. It's those kind of people that, that create division in the church. It's those kind of people that poison the life of the church. And so, like, this son, what he does, it's awesome. We got to come back to that place. We got to come back to that place. We got to come back to our senses. It's not just for people falling away, but this is something that we got to remind ourselves, beloved, every day. Remind yourself the depths to which Christ saved you. Remind yourself the darkness that you were caught in. And whatever stuff that you're going through today, come back to your senses. Realize what God did for you. I'm telling you, you'll make all the difference in your joy. You will receive the joy of salvation again. See, the joy of salvation comes when you operate in a spirit of thanksgiving. But when, you, but when you operate in a spirit of ungratefulness and bitterness, that stuff's taken away. So for those of you who lack the joy of salvation, examine your hearts. Like, what's there? What are you bitter about? What's, what's so wrong in your life? And come back to your senses. And you realize there's, there's so much good. There's something amazing that God did in you, and he's not done. Come back to that joy of salvation. Come back to the senses. And so this son, he goes up, and he goes back to his father. But while a long way off, his father sees him, still with compassion for him, he runs to his son, throws his arms around him, around him, around him, and kisses him. Oh man, guys, like this is it. This is like the moment. This is glorious. So this kid heads home. But from a long way off, this father sees him. Can I emphasize something here? Scripture tells us from a long way off. Everyone say it with me, a long way off. Go. A long way off. Yes, a long way off. Because I don't care how far you think you are from the Lord. I don't care what you did. I don't care how, how fallen you are in the depravity of, of your sins. Because you know what? God sees you from a long way off. He sees you. He knows you. You are not hidden from the Lord. From a long way off, he sees you and he's waiting. A long way off. I once, it was once told me that, um, that if you take two steps before the Lord, God will take ten steps back towards you. you. You reach to the Lord one thing, God will come running to you. From a long way off, God sees you wherever you're at. A long way off. And not only does he see you, but what is he carrying? Like, like what is his heart posture? And he says his heart is filled with compassion. Everyone say compassion. compassion. And now when you look at this word compassion, like I just don't like the English word compassion because it doesn't fully capture what this word really means in the Greek. Because when you think of compassion, you just think of like, you know, giving money to poor kids in Africa. You're like, compassion, you know. <laughs> you think of like compassion, you know. But this is like a really brutal, grotesque, it's like a really um, graphic word. The Greek word for this, it sounds even graphic. It's called splognizomai. <laughs> Everyone say splognizomai. Turn to each other and say, Spoggies of mine. That was embarrassing. Spoggies of mine, it's not, it doesn't mean compassion, okay? <laughs> Woo, okay. Spoggies of mine, what it literally means is your bowels, your intestines turning inside and out. Inside and out because you're so possessed, you're so gripped with love and emotion that like you're having like, the worst diarrhea attack, you know, it's just like, ah, you know, it's just like, it's just like, it's, if there's a good word if for, for English, it may even that may come close to hitting the mark. It's recoil, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's so like a graphic word. Just imagine your intestines right now. Imagine it, you know, turning inside out. That is phlognizomai. And you know what? Guys, that is the world. That is a love that God feels for you. It's not a compassion love, but it's a phlognizomai love. I wish I could make a t-shirt. God's love. Splogneys am I. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could just come up here and be like the love of God. Splogneys am I. And like step back down. It's such a powerful word. And that's what this father is feeling. Splogneys am I. That's what God is feeling for you. Splogneys am I. And what does this kind of love do for a father? If it was any lesser love, maybe the father would have waited for the son to come back and just give him a nice hug. If it was any lesser love, maybe it would have just caused him to walk in a dignified manner, being the patriarch that he is to his son to accept him back. But it's a splognizomai kind of love. It causes him to be splognizomai and manifest on the outside. And so what does he do as a patriarch? He starts running. He starts running. Patriarchs don't run, guys. All right, they're not dressed in suits like me, so you know, it looks kind of cool. You know, if you run, it's like, yeah, you know. Uh, patriarchs are dressed in like, um, you know, like those Middle Eastern 
um, what do you call those clothes? Robes, those robes, right? And so when they run, it's like, robes, all right. I, I could have figured that out myself. Like, they got to lift their robes, you know, and they got to bare their ankles, you know, and run like this. No, that's just like an interesting image. Like, that's how God is running after you. God is not afraid to be scandalous for you. God is not afraid to, to, to be made a fool for you. We know that, don't we? The cross, I mean. God is not afraid. And so this patriarch runs like that after his son. And then when he approaches the son, oh my goodness, like if I was a son and I saw my father running like, like that towards me, <laughs> especially if I've like offended him and stuff, <laughs> I would be like, But what happens? The father does something that the son would never have expected in a million lifetimes. Like the father breaks even sense of like, you know, properness, you know, and just comes and just embraces the son. He gives him this this big bear hug. That's a word that ministers to me because my my love language is touch. And so I'm really all about hugs and stuff like that. But, um, and so if you're, if you're that way too, you'll get blessed by this. But he embraces him with that hug. And you guys, I mean, you guys got to picture this. You guys got to picture this like, you know, that might be like, oh, that's a nice picture, you know. Well, that's nice of the father to do that for the son. <laughs> but like, what is the son wearing right now? You think he had time to take a shower? You think he had time to clean up? He's covered with pig crap all over him. He stinks. You don't want to go near the sun. You want to keep like a six foot radius from him, you know? Like you don't want to go near the sun. But this father, he doesn't run to the sun and stop and be like, woo. <laughs> you know, you, know, you got to take a shower, you know? And then maybe I'll, I'll like, you know, I'll hug you afterwards. But he doesn't, he's not only undignified, he's not afraid to get dirty and get there with you and embrace you. Taking all that upon himself, it gets better. And then he kisses the sun. It's like, if hugging wasn't enough, no, you know, if I was his father, I'd be like, oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> but this father, he goes to the son, he hugs him, and then he's like, come here. <laughs> he lays a kiss. He lays a smacker on the cheek or on the neck. And, uh, and he takes all that stuff on him, you know. It's a very graphic scene, guys. It's not like a nice, oh, look at that, you know, like Hollywood. <laughs> du, 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 du. You know, it's not like that kind of scene. It's like a very disturbing scene. But that's what God's love is for us. It's disturbing, guys. Wake up. It's a disturbing kind of love. So he hugs him. And then the son's like so overcome with emotion. He's like, Father, you know, I bet he's like stuttering. He's like, I don't know what to say. You know, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then it says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. I bet the son's like, wait, didn't you just hear me? I'm like, I'm telling you how bad I am, you know? I'm telling you how messed up I am. I'm telling you what I did. And it's like the father turned a complete blind, blind eye to that. But beloved, I don't think God turned a blind eye to that. But I think he's sending, on, so also, he's sending us a message to that. You know what this is? I will illustrate through a movie. Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. This is Jerry Maguire right here, guys. So my, one of my favorite movies, Jerry Maguire. There's a scene at the end of the movie where Tom Cruise comes in after that big game. I'm, I'm going to spoil it, okay? But I hope you guys have watched it. All right? But anyway, he comes in, and his wife is, like, seated with, with, other, divor- with other divorced women in a small group. And, and, and they're, like, just talking. It's like a divorced women small group, you know? They're just, like, they're unfortunately complaining about life and how, what, what pigs men, men are. And they're just like, oh, man. And then she was never part of that group because she was like, you know what? I'm not going to go that low. But after something happens with him and Tom Cruise, she decides to join the group. And at that moment, Tom Cruise, after a big football celebration, he's just so overcome with emotion. He feels like he's missing something. He flies back home. He runs home, opens the door. And while they're, like, talking crap about him, he comes in. And then they're like, and it becomes silent and quiet. And Tom Cruise is like, um, yeah, um, I'm here. Um, I just came to say that I miss my wife. And, uh, and, and, you know, he's like stuttering because he's trying to, he's trying to communicate what he's, but he, words are failing at that time. 
And then the wives are just like, I mean, you know, the divorce group, they're just like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, Renee Zellweger gets up from the seat, and she's just so overcome with emotion. Like, she's like, you know, her eyes are getting, like, red. And Tom Cruise is like, you know, I just, you know. <laughs> and Renee Zellweger says the famous words, shut up. You have me at hello. Guys, you, you laugh at me right now. It's going to get really good. It's going to get powerful in a second, though. This is a shut up, you have me at hello moment right now between the Lord and between the Father and the Son. He's like, shut up, you have me at hello. See, the Son is crying out like, Father, you know, mercy, mercy, you know, accuse me. I'm such a terrible person. Please, 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 please. And, um, how many of us have done that when we come before the Lord in our prayer time? You know, we come before God in prayer time. The first thing we do is accuse ourselves. It's like, oh, you know, I'm just a sinner. I haven't prayed for you, prayed to you yesterday and the day before. Like, this is my first time praying to you in two weeks. Oh, I'm such a sinner, God. Oh, how do you even love someone like me? You know, we start praying like that. But you know what God's answer to all that is? Shut up. You had me at hello. God is a shut up. You had me at hello, God. I'm being dead serious, guys. You guys are laughing at me. You're like, who does this guy think he is? You know, trying to connect that to that. It's so true. Man, I'm, God is a shut up, you have me at hello kind type of God. Amen? amen? It's like I'm trying to force it out of you. I'm like, amen? <laughs> God doesn't care of your sin. He paid for it on the cross. He wants you. When you come before the Lord, he's like, shut up. I don't want to hear of your whining. I just want you. You had me at Hello? That is God's heart. One glimpse, it says in the Song of Songs, my favorite, one of my favorite verses, one glimpse ravishes his heart. It doesn't say one ear or one decade of, of missionary work and like raising the dead and like, rah, you know, like slaying people. Like that doesn't ravish God's heart. He's saying one glimpse, you turning your head, your, the direction of your head and looking at me like that ravishes my heart. That moves me like no other. Shut up because you had me at hello. Can we just take things from there? That's the heart of God. That's powerful. That's the heart of God for you guys. Those of you guys who are struggling with sin and you're like, oh my goodness, no way God could love me. I've been struggling with porn for like five years. I've done terrible things that no one should have ever done. My message to you, God's saying, shut up. Stop complaining. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. Those of you who hate yourself, you're like, oh, you're like the son. The son like hates himself. You know that? He's like, I am not worthy to be called your son. Do you see God saying, yeah, you're not worthy? Do you see God agreeing with that self-accusation? God is not agreeing with the self-accusation. He's not coming to agreement with your self-hatred. But he's saying, come, agree with me. Agree with the way I see you. Shut up, you had me at hello. God's saying, come, see the way I see. It's powerful. Because we have this image of a God as an accuser, don't we? That's why we don't want to spend time with him. You think that he's out to pinpoint everything wrong in your life. You think he's out to get you. You know, he think he's out to confront you on every weakness, but that's not the image of God that we see here. But God instead says, all together. Yes, yes. Thank you, God. If you guys just even get that from today's sermon, it's a complete success, okay? And then it just gets better. After that moment... You know, God's like, he's not like, he's not like, what is awaiting the sun? It's not like some moon dingy, right? It's not some stick, but what, what, what is awaiting that sun? What, what is awaiting that sun? He's got a, a new robe, like the best robe to put on you. He's got a ring to put on your finger. He's got sandals to put on your feet. He wants to robe you with dignity once again. He wants to take away all those years of shame. He wants to take away your brokenness and put you with a robe of strength and beauty and glory. Like that's awaiting you guys. Like, that's why I personally love spending time with God. Because I know that when I come before the Lord, that's what's awaiting me. When I come before God, I close my eyes. And truth, I mean, honestly, sometimes I do that. I'm like, God, man, I'm, I'm just messed up, you know? I'm like, gosh, I just, I totally uh, made fun of Pastor Myung on the office in a bad way. I'm just, I'm just, a sin- I'm such a sinner. I never do that, by the way. I'm just, as an illustration. That's Pastor Marcus. Um, <laughs> I, I got to repent of that right now. God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, 
I love spending time with God because when I come before the Lord, I know he's not, he's he's not going to be out with like, like a big stick, you know, trying to whip me in shape and like get me to repent of all this stuff. But he says, just look at me. Shut up. You had me at a low. Come look at me. Come and just enjoy me. Can we just enjoy each other? Can we not like talk? Can we just like sit in each other's presence? It's glorious. It's beautiful. It's my portion and my ward. Nothing you give me in life could ever be better than that. The platform I have to God's heart is better than any platform the world can give. I can go on a world tour around the world preaching every crusade, preach to five million people. That's probably going to make me more distant from the Lord, you know? It's not going to bring me closer to the Lord. But what I have of God is so great and so awesome. And so this son comes and then this father says, you know what? Bring the fattened calf and kill it. We're going to celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So, so the father says, you know what? It's not enough that I put a robe on you and a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet. I'm going to kill the fattened calf. You guys know what the fattened calf is? The fattened calf? The fattened calf is like the fattened calf. It's amazing. It's like this huge, I mean, it's not that huge. It's, it's a cow, okay? It's a cow. But like to kill that, it's just like, it's like kalbi, you know? It's like tons and tons of kalbi. Like that's what is awaiting the sun. Man, what a far cry from what the sun experienced just a day or two ago, right? Trying to scrape for like pig food. And now what happens? God says, enough of that stuff that you couldn't even like get. Here, I'm giving you kalbi. Do you guys know what kalbi is? It's like beef, LA beef steaks, beef shanks, beef something. Oh, you guys don't even know yourself. God says, I'm, gonna give you, I'm giving you kalbi instead of pig food. I have something so much better for you. Kalbi, you know? You have to enjoy it. So much better. And then in addition to that, and God is not skimpy, all right? Some of you think that when you come before the Lord and you, and you, come before the Lord and you get, your, get, your, get yourself right, get your life right, you feel like that's the end of your life, you know? It's like, oh, I can't do anything fun anymore. I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I'm going to be a monk. I'm going to go to, like, I'm going to go to, like, a temple and, like, fast and, like, and, like you know, I'm, ne- I'm not, I'm, like, never going to have sex again. You know, it's like, you guys think those kind of things of the Lord. But you know what? God is a God of abundance. He's got good stuff for you. Like, really, really good stuff. Everything in life gets enhanced by the God. Everything in life. He just takes your life. He supercharges it. It's like you're watching black and white. He makes a color TV. Makes a 3D, 4D hologram TV. Your your seats start shaking. Like, that's what God does to your life. And that's why it's so tough when you you go before the Lord. You can't go back to the world because it's like, what the the crap is this? You know, like, I can't, you know. You know, and and that's good because it drives you back. Because once you have an encounter with the glory of God, there's just no going back. And that's what God wants to do. And so so they have this calf, and then it ends with a party. Like, I love it when it ends with a party. You know, I love that God is a God where it's like, it's got to end with a party, you know? We're not going to end with a worship set. We're going to end with a party. And they start celebrating. They start dancing. We have this image of Christianity being so prim and proper, you know, reading, singing hymns and everything. And, like, and, you, and you guys get bored of heaven because you're like, when I go to heaven, I'm just going to be on a cloud and I'm going to be so bored. <laughs> guys, imagine the craziest party ever known to man. You guys know there's a party going on right now? What does it mean? The party never ends. It goes on and on and on and on and on and on. But in addition to that party, you never get tired. <laughs> so you're going to party it up on and on and on and on and on. And you're like, oh, no, I want to rest. I'm sure you'll be able to rest, okay, if you wanted to. God's not going to be like, no. <laughs> but in addition to that party, you're not going to get bored. You know God's not boring, right? If there's something in this life that attracts you, even something of sin, I'm telling you, like God, he's, he's a creator of that. He's a creator of that kind of beauty. He's all the more that much more beautiful. So you come before the Lord. I'm, I'm just so happy that in my life, as much as I get to glimpse the glories of God, it's not going to even come close to what I get to uh, experience and glimpse the next stage when we come before the Lord in heaven. Man, a party. That's what God has for us, guys. A party. And you know why he throws a party? Because he loves you. He celebrates you. He celebrates you guys. God celebrates you. Just, just say it to yourself. Don't turn to your neighbor. Be like, God celebrates me. God celebrates you. He doesn't just love you. He doesn't just accept you. He doesn't just forgive you. He celebrates you. 
That is the heart of our God. So there's a big contrast here. Living in sin, as that son did, it's temporary. Okay? And when you go so far, and the pleasure, it's not even comparable to what God can give you. And you just go so far, and then it ends, right? But here, before the Lord, there's a party at the end of the age, the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a party, even in this life as we live as Christians, that will not end. That keeps going on and just gets better and better and better. Following Jesus is the best kept secret in this life. (laughs) Nothing else compares. Amen. I just want to invite the worship team up. And I just want to, I'm not done yet. I just have something, one more thing to share. You know, as, as crazy as his father is and his love for the son, I just want to bring it back to the gospel, guys. Is that okay? As crazy as his father is and his love for the son, do you guys realize, like, the truth is even greater in real life? Like, this father, he just gave up his reputation, right, to accept the son back. But God the Father, what did he do? He came down to the earth. Took on the skin of man. Didn't just get his garments dirty, but he got his body literally dirty. He took on his body, the sins, the shames, the afflictions of mankind upon him. And he went to the cross. I don't remember, that st- I don't remember the Father dying in that story. That never happened. But God, he, he died for you. He loves you so much that he died for you. I don't know what you guys think about when you look at the cross. For a long time, the cross was just like a religious thing to me. I just be like, oh, it's nice. It's like a big T, you know, a glorified T. But there came a point when the cross completely, my, my conception of the cross completely changed. And I began to see that the cross is God's greatest love letter to mankind. That when I was, when I've been going through, when I've been going through a lot of tough times, I would look at the cross and that would be my reminder to me that he loves me. It would be my reminder to me that he who bore my sin and my shame and died in that kind of way, that love that drove him to do that, he has the same, that same love he still loves with, he still loves me with that same love even today. That love is forever with me. And so that's the message of the cross for you. The cross is God's great sign saying, come back home. I've taken all your sin. I've taken all your shame. I want to give you more. Would you come back home? Would you come back home? Man, I just—I had a friend back in high school. I was in youth group, and and um, you know, I was just like a junior high kid, I think. And she was like a, a junior or senior in high school, and I just didn't see her out at youth group for a long time, and. Uh, and I know that she's, she's had the reputation of being very promiscuous in high school and things like that. Um, it just broke my heart. And I just I remember talking to her on America Online at the time. I was like chatting. I'm like, hey, you know, why don't you come, up, come back out to church? You know, we miss you. And she was saying, oh, yeah, that'd be great. But I just feel like God doesn't love me anymore. I feel like God, you know, I feel like God doesn't like me. I feel like he hates me. At that time, I just... I try to encourage her the best I can and be like, no, no, he loves you, he loves you. But I wasn't really walking in that reality myself at that time, you know? So my words fell flat. How I wish I could step back in a time machine, go back and just grab her by her shoulders and be like, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He's taking all of that. Come back home. Please come back home. He loves you. He's running after you. He wants to embrace you and hug you and kiss you. No matter how dirty you are, how dirty you think you are, he wants to put a robe on you. He loves you. Please come back home. And so, um, so yeah, God's inviting you guys to come back home. Come back home to who he is. It's hard for you. No matter what you're going through, some of you may be going through a really tough time right now. And maybe part of the toughness of it is you just feel separated from the Lord. It's been a long time since you had a connection with him. God today is saying, come back home. See what I have to offer you. Would you come back home? 
Some of us maybe are closer to the Lord. We shrug, we're struggling in this area. And you're struggling to continue to believe that God is good. You're struggling to continue to believe that God is faithful to his promise that he's made over your life. You're struggling to believe that there's no darkness in him. That he's not out to dupe you. Because you've just been believing and believing and you try to have hope. But then you get disappointed and it's tiring. Today, God, is, this is a word directly to your heart. God's saying, come back home. That's not who I am. I love you. I am the passionate and zealous father who's not afraid to give you all that you want and even more. I love you. So um, I just want to have just a brief ministry time before we worship. Um, yeah, just with our eyes closed.